0: Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. I know the average person walking around with the flame, not a flamethrower, have been misusing them. No. Yep. And there's a bunch of stuff online. People making videos. I of love them. the one in the grill. The guy in the grill. You know oh. what he's you know what he's doing there? You know what that is? That's uh. That's creme brulee. Yes. yes. He's crystallizing the sugar on the top of the creme brulee with not a flamethrower. <laughs> the morning blaze weekday morning six to nine Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Week to week, I try to breach that divide between West and East, between modernity, liberal democracy, and lands that. Some of them are trying to go through revolutions, but most of them have been dominated since 13th, 14th century by dictatorships of some kind or another, by theocracy and ultimately by legal systems that are heaped in Sharia law and not in modernity and the separation of mosque and state. And every day I I see issues that if only the media would pay attention to the reality of what divides, what drives certain communities to be separatists, certain communities to be heaped in the collectivism of their motherlands in which they came from, rather than from absorbing the ideas of Western freedom. This week was no different. There's a lot to talk about, as always. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was just a little over a week ago, Austria reported that it was going to shut down. A number of mosques the AP reported that the Austria's government uh, said Friday this was a week ago Friday that it was gonna close seven mosques and plans to expel imams and a crackdown on political Islam and foreign financing of religious groups now at least I'm gonna tell you now my, my general position is that generally this is not a good idea and I'll get into the reasons why Unless there's arms, unless they're preaching uh, a violent insurrection, unless they're preaching terrorism from the pulpit, political Islam will not be defeated by shutting down mosques. Now, expelling imams—that's another thing we can talk about whether that's fair or not. It might be if those imams were simply here on were simply there on visas, etc. Uh, but uh, if they were citizens, again, that doesn't make any sense. But Having said that, I think the first point I want to make is that they're cracking down in Austria on political Islam. Hallelujah. Now, again, I'm not happy about the way they're doing it. It's a little extreme. But they're understanding that the problem is political Islam. They're not saying just Islam or Muslims. They're cracking down on political Islam. That is the threat. Islamism. Political Islam, Islamism, an ism, a political, a theopolitical ideology that believes that if that party, that political party comes to power, it should then invoke and in place Sharia law and Islamist legal system into position by virtue of the platform of its political party, and that is political Islam, and the mosques are used for their network. Chancellor Sebastian Kurtz said the government is shutting down, is shutting a hardline Turkish nationalist mosque in Vienna and dissolving a group called the Arab Religious Community that runs six mosques. So it dissolved that Arab religious community. The actions of the government are based on a 2015 law in Austria, and I think we talked about that back then, that among other things prevents religious communities from getting funding from abroad. Interior Minister said that the residence permits of around 40 imams employed by ATIB, a group that oversees Turkish Mosque in Austria, are being reviewed because of concerns about such financing. That makes sense. Resident permits, these are just permits to be residents. They're not citizens. They don't have the full rights of Austrians. That makes sense. Why were they allowed in to start with? This is why when I talk about vetting of people coming into the United States, we talk about them believing and hearing. To the principles of the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the separation of church and state. And also adhering to our Muslim Reform Movement Declaration, which has many of these principles embodied in it. So no, those imams do not have a right to stay, and they're probably realizing they should have never let them in to start with. Kickle said that in the two cases, permits have already been revoked. Five more imams were de- denied first-time permits. Kurtz became chancellor in December in a coalition with the Anti-Migration Freedom Party. In campaigning for last year's election, both coalition parties called for tougher immigration controls, quick deportations of asylum seekers, whose requests are denied and a crackdown on radical Islam. The government recently announced plans to ban girls in elementary schools and kindergartens from wearing headscarves. So, so look at the reason I pointed out to you political Islam in that the ideology they're beginning to talk about is the correct problem. That is the one we need to pay attention to. But now the treatment of that disease has some appropriate treatments and others that are chemotherapies that will kill the patient. So you have to get the treatment right. Banning girls from wearing hijabs. Now, I have no idea why Islamists like their six, seven-year-old girls to wear hijabs. That doesn't make any sense. It's pathological, actually. It's supposed to be to protect, they believe, it's to protect a woman from inappropriate exposure in public so that she is respected equally and not because of physical exploitation and that she not be objectified. And simply the objectification of six, seven, ten-year-old girls is absurd. That doesn't make any sense. Now, into junior high school and high school, I get it. So, I'm not exactly sure. Again, the details were not provided about what they mean by this, but the whole thing, uh, the government getting into wearing, into whether they wear headscarves doesn't make sense. In the next segment, we're going to talk about the Danish ban of the burqa, but we'll get to that. But more importantly, the shutting down of mosques. I can't tell you how misguided that is. In France, they shut down a number of mosques. Three of them made sense. They had arms that were found in there. These were jihadi outposts, jihadi militant outposts. That is no longer a mosque. It is a war front that should be shut down. But there was no evidence from what I remember a few years ago after the Paris bombings that the other mosques that they shut down had any arms in them. They may have been preaching anti-French Sermons; they may have been politically, even insurgents in their ideas. But every Middle Eastern government, and I wrote a piece about the uh, Tajikistan government in which they said they were they shut down uh, five six years ago all the Salafi mosques, the Wahhabi mosques that had ideology preached from Saudi Arabia and pretty fundamentalist Wahhabism. And I pointed out that. It may make them feel good for a few months, but ultimately it then pushes them underground. It actually radicalizes them to the point in which the government is not able to monitor it, is not able to expose it, and treat them with the antiseptic of sunlight. And it actually harms society in the long run, because you cannot engage these communities and marginalize their ideas compare the spread of hate groups, neo-Nazi groups in Europe, versus those in the United States. I believe in the United States it is much less because we expose these groups to the antiseptic of sunlight and marginalize them so that they are not part of mainstream culture, whether it's the uh, uh, skinheads, the um, fascist groups, as we saw In the past few years, some of them have been exposed on mainstream media frequently, and nobody takes them seriously as a result. Even at the height of the Cold War, the Communist Party, and perhaps contrary to what McCarthy wanted, but ultimately the Communist Party was never outlawed even though they may have been providing ideological, ideological safe haven for Soviet sympathizers and others. But it was one thing to be fighting against Soviet infiltrators and militant Soviets who wanted to kill Americans versus ideological communists who were drinking from the same trough of Marxist, Hegelian thought. And I think similar when it comes to Islamists, we can either fight them ideologically or if you start shutting them down, the work that we are doing in the Muslim reform movement becomes impossible. This conversation where we can expose what they're writing, what they say about America, what they say about France, what they say about Austria becomes impossible. So the shutting down of mosques doesn't make sense. Now, unless there's something about these mosques that I don't know in the simple international uh, AP reports that were put out, but let's look at it. Because there is a nationalist and hyper-nationalist movement moving across Europe. And the way we respond to those movements is going to color the action and reaction to every one of these. President Trump's movement of America First was an equal and opposite reaction to Obama's movement of America Last, and let's bow and genuflect to the knees of the Iranian regimes, the Assad regimes, China and other countries. And now we see how that pendulum has swung the other way. Similarly in Europe with with the uh, concessions of a million refugees into Germany which Merkel did with the uh, uh, other movements that have simply continued to try to dissolve European national identity, you're beginning to see responses Not only the more rational response of Brexit from EU, but irrational responses of some of the nationalist and hyper-nationalist movements associated with, uh, I believe, the uh, Pegida movement and others. Now, some of them may be well-intended, trying to bring back national identity, but others become xenophobic, anti-Semitic, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant And when it comes to self-preservation, you can understand uh, some of their sentiment. But it would be self-defeating by them not to embrace those who share their values but happen to be Muslim, happen to be Jewish, happen to be Syrian, Jordanian, or Pakistani. But if they continue to simply alienate anyone based on skin color, national origin, it will not solve the long-term problem. So ultimately, shuttering mosques... If they're militant, it makes sense. If they're not, expose their ideas and begin to have a national conversation in Austria about political Islam, about Islamism, about jihadism, because that's what we're trying to do at the Muslim Reform Movement. We'll be right back at the Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today, the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. Now we can throw the baby out with the bathwater, or we can step back from the brink and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. We haven't exercised the Bill of Rights and actually held to it as a nation, as people. All it's going to require is 20% of this nation understanding the Bill of Rights, really understanding them. And instead of fighting for me, I will fight for the rights of those I disagree. The Glenn Beck Program. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We were talking about Austria's announcement and move to shut down seven mosques. Reuters reported further that the plans were just the beginning of a push against radical Islam and foreign funding of religious groups that Turkey condemned as racist. So now I want to shift a little bit and point out that, I mean, in the United States right now, and I talked about this on Mark Levin's program on Fox News uh, this weekend, uh, you can see it uh, Sunday night at Uh, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, we talked uh, on his program Life, Liberty, and Levin. One of the things we talked about is Turkey and how the largest mosque in the United States right now, the most heavily funded mosque, is around Baltimore, and it is a program of the Diniet program of Turkey. So a foreign-funded outpost of the Turkish government, I prefer to call the Turkish regime, Of Erdogan, the cultish leader of the Islamist AKP party, is beginning to build mosques as outposts in our country. So I don't think that that should be allowed should have never been allowed to start with. But when you allow foreign funding of things on our soil, when our country welcomes the Chinese purchasing to the tens of billions of dollars companies in West Virginia, uh, huge skyscrapers in, in New York and elsewhere become foreign funded. We saw when the Iranian sanctions were in place, one of the reasons four mosques were shut down in the United States that nobody really talked about, they were inside the skyscraper of the Alevi Foundation, that had half a billion dollars seized in 2010 as a result of sanctions violations because they were getting money to and from Iran. That made sense. The sanctions against Iran protected our country against infiltration of Khomeini's ideology into this country. Nobody even talked about it because it was just part of the sanctions program. And then you wonder, people say, oh, well, the Shia never attacked us. There have never been acts of terror. Well, the reason there have never been acts of terror in the United States by Shia Islamists isn't because the Khomeinists who sing Death to America, who have a little app on their phone called Death to America that the Iranian regime put out, the reason that has not happened is because of the money. The sanctions over the past 20, 15, 20 years, however long it's been, have prevented the flow of money necessary to plant the seeds of radicalization of Islamist Khomeinism. The Sunnis, however, through the Muslim Brotherhood, the Ikhwanis of Egypt, through the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia and their radical Islamism, have had billions of oil dollars spent on mosques, on networks, from the Muslim Student Association on to radicalize our community. So... This entente that we have with the Sunni allies of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and elsewhere might help us in the geopolitics of the Middle East, but it has been a suicide pact when it comes to the ideology of the Ikhwan and the Salafis. And then we wonder, why is it just Sunni terror and not Shia terror that attacks Westerners, that believes that we are the land of war and they are the land of Islam? that easily taps into ISIS ideology and then the Saudis say they're with us when in fact their cauldron of Wahhabism and their state jihadi military is no different than ISIS other than that we treat them with kid gloves because they give us oil and regional protection for our bases and vice versa. Now Turkey... Responded belligerently to Austria, Erdogan spokesman said the new policy was part of an Islamophobic, racist, and discriminatory wave in Austria. Racist? Political Islam is an ideology. Der Führer Erdogan, Austrian Chancellor. Further said that the Austrian government's ideologically charged practice. That no, I'm sorry, this isn't from the Austrian president. This is from another. Spokesperson for the Turks. The Austrian government's ideologically charged practices are in violation of universal legal principles, social integration policies, minority rights, and the ethics of coexistence. The ministries, Austrian ministries, set up to 60 imams belonging to the Turkish Islamic Union for Cultural and Social Cooperation in Austria. A Muslim group close to the Turkish government could be expelled from the country or have visas denied on the grounds of receiving foreign funding. Now we're talking. That makes sense. A country that allows foreigners who have an ideology that wants to destroy your cultural, societal contract, which is secular liberalism, should not have been allowed in to start with. Shuttering their mosques? Shut down their 501c3, maybe? as being, if they have not, I don't know what their non-profit laws are in Austria, but in the United States, we need to look at exactly what funding. Now, people say, well, if we start shutting down foreign funding, the entire Soros operation has foreign aspects to it. The European money that flows in and out, the Gulf money. Yeah, exactly. Then you wonder why our kids are being influenced by, by ideologies that are just an anathema to who we are as Americans. The ATIB spokesman, Yasar Ersoy, acknowledged that the imams were paid by the DNET, the Turkish State Religious Authority, but it was trying to change that. He even said they were paid by the DNET. We are currently working on having imams be paid from funds within the country, they said. On and on. This is a disaster. And the Austrians are beginning to address it. But again, if they go too far... The entire operation will fall apart because it will be perceived as undemocratic, hyper-nationalist, and xenophobic. Because at the end of the day, Europe has its own history with xenophobia, persecution of minorities, horrific persecution, genocidal proportion persecutions, as we saw with the Holocaust and, and the over 6 million Jews slaughtered by the Nazis. This cannot. This has to not only be in the rear view mirror. But in the front. Because in the end. A swing too far of hyper nationalism. Again. A, a approach towards political Islam as the enemy. Smart. It is. Shedding the light of day upon it. Smart. Marginalizing them. Smart. Kicking out foreign imams. That are only here on visa. Smart. Stopping their foreign funding. Smart. Shutting down their mosques? I don't think so. Taking away their free speech rights? I don't think so. Because that goes both ways. The Islamists are always trying to shut down criticism of Islam. That's why they call it Islamophobia. The Islamists are always trying to racialize who they are rather than appropriately identify it as an idea that has no rights. Muslims have rights. Islam is an idea. It has no more rights than socialism or democracy or freedom has a right as an idea. The Danish now have been talking about. They did talk about significantly. I think they banned the burqa. We're going to talk about in the next talk about that in the next segment. These moves have always morsels if not central focuses that are appropriate but sometimes the solution will end up killing the patient the cure cannot be worse than the disease and I would tell you as bad as you see the symptoms and as bad as you see the disease the cure should never be worse than the disease because in the end it could end up being national suicide because you don't want to lose who you are as a democracy as you try to counter infiltrating ideologies This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back.
0: Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network on demand. Reform
1: This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We've been talking about what's happening in Europe with Austria shutting down mosques, its focus on political Islam, kicking out imams that don't uh, have an ideology compatible with being Austrian. There are some aspects to this that make sense. There's others that just don't make any sense with democracy and with a sense of wanting to get and treat the root cause of the problem. Next, I wanted to talk to you about what's happening in Denmark. Women wearing the niqab are seen sometimes sitting at the Danish parliament, watching. They're part of a very significant presence, I guess, based on media reports in Denmark. So there's been a bit of an uproar about should they be allowed to walk in public wearing a niqab. Now a niqab, let's get the definitions right first. A niqab is the covering of the face, so you can't see the identity of the facial identity. A burqa is the covering of the body that includes the niqab as part of its cover. So a burqa is the sort of entire trench coat type thing down to the ankles, and all you can see is the feet, no body shape with a headscarf covering the hair, which is known as the hijab, and then the face veil known as the niqab. The West always talks about banning the whole burqa. I never understood that. It makes no sense, absolutely no sense, to talk about banning anything except the niqab. The niqab makes sense. There has been repeated case history in the West, even to the U.S. Supreme Court after a New York case, after a demonstration in which people showed up to a mass demonstration wearing masks. And the government said, we cannot police crimes done in mass demonstrations prone to violence if they all show up in masks and then scatter. And now in today's world, in which there have been many rulings that when you're walking in public, the government has a right to video, the government has a right to record, and there have been many crimes solved after the fact in which most, most people in this country are thankful to the fact that public spaces are recorded. Now, if you live in a neighborhood in which you have cameras on your house, If those cameras then can see into the backyard, into the private areas of your neighbors, or you have a drone that you float around and you take pictures in people's private neighborhood, that is a crime. And that should be adjudicated appropriately because you are invading their privacy. But you may have privacy related to conversations you have on your phone when you're walking in public, but you do not have a right to privacy of physical being in your photo, When you are walking in public. So if you choose to walk in public. Or drive in public. You choose to have a driver's license. You should be identifiable. And I think it's no coincidence. That the way God made us. Other than your identical twins. Out of the billions and billions and billions. Of people that have lived in the history of mankind. Let alone the 7 plus billion alive today. Facial identity is almost impossible to replicate. Some people might look similar, but ultimately it is one of the identifying characteristics of who we are, similar to a fingerprint. So I would tell you in the interest of national security and the Supreme Court has ruled similarly, there is no right to wear a face mask. Sure, the rules are bent sometimes in Halloween for kids. The rules might be bent at times when you're skiing, etc. You wear a little mask, but ultimately if a cop stops you, you have to remove it. There is no right to maintain anonymity throughout. And there is no way to guarantee that who you say you are and you write down is exactly who you are. So there should be an accountability for identity when you are interacting with people and you may commit crimes. Now, the outlawing of, of the size of a, of, a, of a poncho or a jacket, that makes no sense. It's hysterically nonsense. But I would never defend the niqab as being part of religious liberty. Many people have tried to because they say, oh, it's not a problem. You're simply targeting Muslims. Nobody else wears face masks. And if you take that to its absurd, ridiculous minimum, then maybe that's true right now. But that's not how you make adjudications you can't adjudicate something that's rational or not based on simply the prevalence of which groups are asking for today because the rulings will be used into the future to set up principles of how we address these things so i would tell you the good the response what is the benefit of a muslim woman wearing a hijab i'm sorry a niqab I went to Saudi Arabia with the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom and the Saudis put in front of us women wearing the niqab who spoke extremely fluent English and Arabic, were extremely intelligent and seemed to espouse a nature of saying that they loved wearing the niqab and did not feel their identities were threatened at all. And they went on and on at some type of apologetic about that are they heads of government are they heads of state it is not a coincidence that these women were faceless not only faceless in our meetings but i without identity in the city-state of of jeddah where we were in the legal system of saudi arabia if they went to the courts they had a half a vote if they were inheritance they got a quarter of the inheritance on and on that is not a coincidence. So I think along with facial lack of recognition comes a a dissolution of the individual equality, a complete complete oppression of that soul. Now let's go back to Denmark. The Danes have said, widely known as the burqa ban, the measures perceived by critics as targeting Muslim women who choose to cover themselves with the burqa, a head-to-toe garment, or the niqab, a cloth covering the face. Human rights campaigners spoke against it. If the intention of this law is to protect women's rights, it fails abjectly. As said, instead, the law criminalizes women for their choice of clothing. So said the apologists. And Amnesty International said in a statement, the law is neither necessary nor proportionate and violates the rights to freedom of expression religion. Can you believe Amnesty International? This is not about hijab. I will defend the rights of women to wear the hijab, just as uh, the, the Orthodox Jewish community should be able to wear the, the uh, kippah, nuns to wear the habit, etc. The word we're talking about here is facial identity. And Amnesty International now, I would love to have them talk to girls and women in these families that are forced to wear the face covering. That is absurd. According to Shadi Hamid, the guy who wrote the book Islamic Exceptionalism, which basically is a, is a testament to his belief that Islamic exceptionalism is better than American exceptionalism, he said it will have the effect of further polarizing society and further alienating alienating the Muslim minority population. There is only one minority group that is affected by this, Muslims. Are you kidding me? Could you possibly alienate or separate out people more Than the girls and ladies wearing a niqab already separated. That entire mindset is a separationist one. And if his point is that by doing this, you separate them more, then he really doesn't understand how to treat the disease of Islamism. There needs to be a confrontation with their incompatible ideology and at least outlawing their facial covering. Just like if you want to deal with, obviously this is more extreme, But rape victims, domestic violence victims, you have to empower them to testify against their perpetrators. You have to empower them to seek separation, to seek divorce, etc. So you empower these women to seek their individual rights. And you don't apologize for it and become a bigot by virtue of telling the rest of the non-Muslims in your country that these Muslims want that and grow by being faceless, anonymous individuals behind their face fails. The Danish Prime Minister said that the burka and the niqab do not have their place in Danish society. They symbolize a the conception of the woman, and of the humanity to which we are fundamentally opposed, and that we want to fight in the Danish society. According to the Library of Cong- Library of Congress, last week's outcome was embraced by European Parliament member Visitsen. Who tweeted today, the Danish parliament approved the law banning burqa and niqab? Congratulations, Denmark. Yeah, there's going to be pushback. Yeah, there's going to be some populist movements and in protestation from Muslims who are offended. But those are the Islamists, those are the Salafis, those are the Wahhabis. Don't listen to them. Let them protest, let them march. Start empowering the Muslims who would never wear niqab, who reject that and will help lead an intellectual revolution against it. That's the way the West wins. Outlawing the burqa, that doesn't make sense. The niqab, it does. Pick your battles with the ones that are commensurate, with rational, proven legal victories in the past. Don't start outlawing things. I mean, even the Danes in the reporting that I saw, said that they will make exceptions for ski masks. I'm sorry, that that is absurd. You should say that all face masks are prohibited, and then if people need to wear a face mask because it's 23 degrees below zero, then they can wear it, but if questioned by police, they immediately need to remove it, because that's the difference. The Muslim women would not remove it if they're questioned by police. This can be rational, folks. It's not too hard. We can be a rational democracy and educate our immigrants about what rational, reasoned societies do to treat everybody equally. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. Pat
1: Gray. I wasn't even born yet, so. Uh, really? Yeah. I wouldn't be born for another. Twenty-five years or so. Wow, that's fuzzy math, right? Yeah, there. Well, I mean, uh, it's nineteen sixty-seven. Add twenty-five to that. You're born <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, Ron is telling me I, I look old for my young age. That uh, well, kind of rude. Anything, but it's kind of rude. I'm glad he broke that ice because I agree. <laughs> Pat, Pat Gray. Gray, weekdays from noon to three Eastern,
0: only on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Yes, this is Dr. Zutty Jesser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Last, I want to talk to you about, you know, there's some terms thrown around by the far left who who love to criticize, especially us Muslims, that are reformists that take them on, that call them out for their... their uh, you know, their their movements to try to generalize us Muslims as one group that somehow everything is about a grievance narrative, everything is about victimology. And those of us that talk about reform and own up to the fact that we have core ideas that need to be addressed are somehow the problems. And they use terms like Uncle Tom, native informants, licking the boots, they say, on and on. And my response to them is Tell me what it is about the ideas that I've said that you find distasteful or disagreeable, and we can debate them. That's why I have multiple debates with imams, with others, because that's how you get to the root cause. But the left, the the naysayers, don't want to deal with debates and ideas. They simply want to demonize and destroy the messenger. New York Magazine this week had a piece by Nasreen Malik called Islam's Native Informants. And basically, uh, this long, uh, I don't know how many words, 5,000 word essay published in one of the nation's supposedly most popular magazines decided to dissect Majid Nawaz of Quilliam Foundation, a Muslim organization, and Ayan Herzi Ali, who obviously was raised Muslim, but then left Islam and went to the Netherlands and ultimately was persecuted an attempt at assassination. One of her colleagues was was murdered. She had to then flee to the United States because of threats to her life in the Netherlands. She left Islam, I think she reports to be an atheist today. But yet, she's described by Nisreen Malik as a native informant because she's from within the community. Now, these terms... Interestingly, Malik opens the piece comparing sort of the juxtaposition of Edward Said with Bernard Lewis. That Said dismissed Lewis as an orientalist, a generalist, and an ideologue. And then she talked about Fouad Ajami, one of the writers who I used to adore the most in the Wall Street Journal, a gifted man who used to always clarify the politics of the Middle East. And he was described as a native informant also by Said. Said wrote, As an imperial collectivity which along with Israel never does anything wrong, Arabs are to blame for everything and therefore deserve our contempt and hostility. And back and forth, these scholars between the conservatives, Bernard Lewis and Fahad Ajami, and and the far left, uh, Edward Said, had fought this, and now this has gotten into steroids. It's almost on steroids now with many of us in the reform-minded community, dismissed by the Council on American Islamist Radicalization (laughs) Care, dismissed by them, we are dismissed as Uncle Toms, as... Ellison, I will remind you, when Dan Rather did a story on our work at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, Dan Rather asked Keith Ellison interview and it's on the segment. Asked him, he said, Do you You were taped in Congress referring to Zudi Jasper as an Uncle Tom? He said, no, no, I did not call him an Uncle Tom. I said he was like the blacks that used to work for the slave masters and help enslave blacks. And Dan was like, I think that's what an Uncle Tom is. <laughs> so this is the issue, is that on and on this piece goes on to throw slander after slander after misrepresentation of the ideas, trying to sprinkle in sort of the the illegitimacy of the concept of native informant, but then actually making the case that Ayan Hirsi Ali and Majid Nawaz in effect fit some kind of label maybe not as bad as native informant but in fact do fit some kind of label as self-hating or at least anti-Muslim and she quotes here or there, a Aquilium quote, for example, in which they say the ideology of nonviolent Islamists is broadly the same as that of violent Islamists, and that they disagree only on tactics. And she said that was described as McCarthyite. Seriously, that is McCarthyite. The fact that you call out political Islam, Islamism, as the problem, and that some choose to get to the end of the caliphate the end of the Islamic State nonviolently democratically through social change, and others choose militant, the ends justifying the means through terror to push away Western democracy, Western influence of enlightenment and liberal theory, so that they can push forth theocracy in that Islamic State. How is that McCarthyite? I mean, this piece is just horrific, but it shows you The conversation is increasing more and more. The left does not know what to do with us. The left who supposedly, and I talked about this on Mark Levin's show this weekend, the left thinks they're about diversity, but they don't like intellectual diversity. They like lockstep collectivism. They don't like ideological diversity, conservative, liberal, feminist, uh, gay rights, uh, family values. They don't like intellectual diversity, they want to push lockstep, collectivist, socialist no free markets we are all one, blind of any individual identity that's why this piece was opened up with Bernard Lewis, one of the most preeminent scholars who just had his untimely passing lived over a hundred years but no time would we ever not need Bernard Lewis to learn from his book's I have a lot to do with the ideas that I have come from learning from reading Bernard Lewis's book on what went wrong in Islam, the crisis in Islam, all the books that he wrote. A man who I had the pleasure of speaking to a number of times on the phone wrote, spoke in Arabic that was better than my Arabic. He was a scholar that we will miss. And this piece opened by quoting Edward Said's opinion of probably the 20th century preeminent s- scholars on Islam in the West. So my friend Majid Nawaz, I think it's a rite of passage, it's a badge of honor that the New York Magazine decided to devote this much time and space to libeling and slandering a lot of the work that he does. Same thing with Ayan Hersiali. Now some of the issues covered were, I think, Well presented, but twist, again, facts with fiction. So when you hear folks talk about Native informants, when you hear them talk about Uncle Toms, think twice about who they're targeting. Realize that there must be something truthful being said about some of these folks that have been around talking and speaking and trying to reform our communities for for endless, endless hours away from family, away from work I don't agree with Majid on, on everything or even on most things on many things we do and especially on the threat of political Islam I don't agree with Nayan Hirsi Ali on, on Islam, on, on the existence of God on many things but again on political Islam and the threat of the Islamist movement I do So, there's something happening. There's something afoot. More and more mainstream now they have been trying to marginalize our work and the reformers are getting a voice. Political Islam is being focused on more and more and we're starting to get to an exposure of the real problem. Political Islam. This is Zudi Jasser. Thanks again for another wonderful week. Uh, Reform This. We'll talk next week. God bless.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network.